Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular, completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. My interview today is with radio personality Maz Compton. She's the host of Last Drink, a podcast about how to live an awesome life without alcohol. She's been sober since 2015 and her work is to reframe the cultural norm of alcohol in our society, explore sobriety, and sober curiosity through the lens of honest, engaging conversations, and to empower people to redefine their relationship with alcohol. I love talking with Maz, and I think you're going to love this conversation today because it's something so many women struggle or want to do once they stop drinking, which is how to find your identity in sobriety after you've taken your last drink. So Maz, welcome. Well, Casey, thank you so much. I I love you so much and I love what you do and what you stand for. And so I'm really, really stoked to be here today. So thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And so tell us about you. Tell us about the podcast and life before drinking and after drinking. That is such a loaded question. I know uh, it is. I know it is. For almost long, all of us. <laughs> yeah. Do we have six years for me to unpack it all? Um, so to backtrack a little bit, um, I'm a radio personality here in Australia. And I got into media when I was in my early 20s. It's something I always wanted to do. So I wrote in my diary when I was 15 I was like, I want to host MTV in Australia. And um, MTV in Australia in the 90s wasn't a thing. We used to watch the New York feed. We used yeah. to watch TRL live from New York and like, you know, Carson Daly and the gang. And I, I used to watch it and I would be mesmerized. I'm Is like, that like downtown Julie Brown days? I'm dating myself. 
Okay, maybe sl- I feel like we're talking. I'm talking mid nineties. Okay, mid nineties, like All peak right. TR nineties. Right. Got it. And I remember thinking that that's a job. Like yeah. you could hang out with celebrities and be on television and go to parties and get paid money. And I wrote in my diary, I was like, I want to be on MTV in Australia. MTV did not have a local feed at the time, so I was and and also just to like really paint the picture. I was a late bloomer. I didn't get boobs till I was 17. I was like the president of the environment club at school. I was not a cool, I was not in the cool brigade at all. I was a bit of a nerd. Um, I loved studying. Like I was yeah. just not the person that you would picture on MTV. So that was what I decided somehow I was going to do with my life. And then um, I remember telling my parents about it and my mother through a really disappointed face said, um, well, perhaps you should get, you know, a a backup career. (laughs) I was like, thanks for the confidence boost, mum. So, but I got what she was saying in that, like, okay, that's plan A. Um, Good to have a couple of backup, you know, let's do a plan B, C, D, E and F, right? So I went and I studied marketing and public relations and I got into PR, which was a version of organizing parties and getting paid for it. And so at 18, 19, I was working in the corporate world and part of my job was to go out and schmooze with clients. So we drank champagne. So I had this real early introduction to drinking that it was a part of my job. It's just what I didn't even think for a second that it was strange that on a Friday we would have where we would like, you know, this was back in the day with fax machines, right? So this was when we used to like print out like one copy of a report for a client and like bind it together in a binding machine and laminate the front cover and so the the big desk in the middle of our area is where we would do all of the reports for clients during the week and it's where it would it would be covered in booze bottles on a Friday afternoon. So mm. never once yeah. did I think that that was strange or odd. I was like, I'm young, I'm working up the corporate ladder. We drink on a Friday or a Monday or at lunch or whenever it is because it's the job. So forward track a couple of years through a whole big sequence of events. I got the dream job on MTV and it's a it's a bit of a weird story but I had managed to like weasel my way into a radio station because I thought this TV thing wasn't working out like how do you get a job in TV so I was like I'll get into radio so I started doing volunteer work at a radio station and before I knew I had a job there and I was learning to be a producer Mm -hmm. and again Friday afternoon Polly the drinks trolley gets wheeled around the radio station and we're all sitting at our desks like you know bashing out itineraries for our broadcasts for the weekend and I'm you know sipping back slinging back wine and beer and whatever and some nights we get really messy and some some nights you'd be at the radio station until like three in the morning on a Saturday because we just hadn't left the office because we're just all going crazy so alcohol And my career and my career aspiration and my high drive for success all really fused together in this beautiful little determination bubble, I call it, because I was a very headstrong go-getter kid. And I'm still that as an adult, but I have boundaries now, which I learned in later life. And so I'm working in radio and one of my jobs was, I don't know if you have this over where you guys are, but like we have like street teamers. So we have the like radio station branded cars and the cars go out to the local community and like go at the footy events and hand out drinks and free stuff. And so one of my jobs was to drive around the station cars and to call back to the radio station to go, hey, we're down here doing this, come say hi. And I was working with this guy, Steve, one day. And um, Steve was flicking, it's so random, he's flicking through Who magazine because we're handing out Who magazines. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, he's like, there's an audition to be a VJ at MTV. Isn't that what you want to do for a job? And I was like, yeah, that's my dream job. Also, why are you reading Who magazine? Like you are not the demographic. Um, but I saw this ad and I was like, okay. I'll, so I, I had this little like 
TV show reel that one of my friends had put together with me on a weekend ages ago, just in case I needed to like send it to a producer one day. And so I sent it off and I got a call from MTV and they're like, come in. And I went through the whole process and it came down to me and this other guy and the other guy got the job. And I was so mad. I was like, but this is my dream and my job. And what do you mean? Like, this isn't in my diary when I'm 15 that I audition for the dream job and I don't get the dream job. What the hell? And so at this point, I think like my drinking behavior was, I'm a bit annoyed. I'm going to go out and get wasted with my friends because I deserve to let some steam off. It wasn't problematic necessarily, but it was definitely a solution to issues or problems or when things weren't going my way. It was my go-to. So at this point, I'm in my mid-20s. Alcohol is my weekend release. Alcohol is how I engage in all of my social functions. And alcohol then becomes this thing that I lean on when I'm upset. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi's being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. So I didn't get the job at MTV, right? And so that's just pretty devastating. So I spent about a year being pissed off and like annoyed at the world and like angry at God and all of this junk. And then A year later, I decided I did something a bit outrageous, Casey, which is not out of the blue for me. And I decided to, because I was so mad still, and I decided to call the producer, Matt Hines, who had told me that I didn't get that job prior. And I rang and I left a voicemail and I was like, hi, Matt. (laughs) My name's Maz. We met a year ago. I auditioned for that role on MTV for the show Home Buzz. I just wanted to let you know I'm still super keen to work at MTV. I would do, I would, I can work in the marketing department. Mm-hmm. I could sit on reception. Like I just love the brand and I just want to be around it. So just letting you know, you know, I'm around. He called me back two days later, Casey. And he was like, Maz, it's so weird that you rang me the other day because we were re-watching all of the showreels from 12 months ago because there's another job coming up and we think that you'd be really good for it. Would you like to come in and audition again? And I'm like, oh, let me check my schedule, Matt. Like, really busy over here. So I I was like, of course I'll come in. So I went back into MTV, Mm -hmm. met the guy who got the job the year before and was very nice to him. Um, I was like, hey, you stole my job. Hi. And so I re-audition and then like a month goes by and I hear nothing. Every time my phone rings, I have a borderline heart attack. And then I think most afternoons during that time, I had a glass of wine or two to like take the edge off because Mm -hmm. I'm waiting for this phone call about my destiny that's not coming. And sitting in limbo land is it's not empowering and I didn't feel in control. So some, I, like this is all on reflection. 
I can go, oh, like I sat with alcohol because I could control that and that could help me feel better about the situation. So eventually um, Matt does call. It's about a month later and he says, hey, like we need you to come back in. And I'm like, okay, this is just my anxiety. I'm starting to have anxiety now. I've never had anxiety in my life. And I went, okay. And so I went back in and it was the 4th of June in 2004 at 10 a.m. And I sat in the boardroom at MTV in North Sydney here in Australia at MTV headquarters. And this guy in a suit walked into the room and I'm like, where's Matt? Like, where's the producer? And he was like, oh, and I'm thinking at the time, like, punked is a thing, right? Ashton Kutcher's doing his yeah. punked TV show where he punked. And I'm like, this is a stitcher. Like, yeah. someone's going to jump out of the boardroom desk or someone's going to, like, you know, come through the ceiling and this is going to be an elaborate prank. And so this guy, Nigel Robbins, is standing there in the boardroom. And I'm like, where's Matt, the producer? And he goes, oh, Maz. I'm the general manager of MTV Australia. I wanted to um, offer you a contract of employment. And I'm like, this is so funny, Casey. I was like, but I have a job. Like I work at a radio station. And he's like, yeah, we know. He's like, we want to offer you the job to be the VJ and we want to launch TRL in Australia. Oh, my God. That's amazing. So I'm a big manifester and vision boarder, and I love that. I love that story. And my diary said, I want to host TRL in Australia. Yeah. When I was 10 years before. So there's a whole thing that happens. I get this job on MTV, and it is like the dream on the dream on the dream on the dream. I'm flying around the world. I'm going to all the MTV awards. I'm hosting red carpets. I'm wearing high fashion I'm interviewing celebrities. I'm going to movie premieres. Like I'm this girl all of a sudden. And it was amazing. And I drank so much alcohol because there was so much booze. And like we had a launch party and Good Charlotte were there. And so like we drank beer with Good Charlotte. And then we went um, to the Europe Music Awards and like Fergie was there and Gwen Stefani. And so I'm like, we're having champagne because we're backstage and I have a dressing room. Like it was just, I went from this like small town, like not a big deal nerd to this like VJ, like this chick that is on MTV that people are like, you're the girl from MTV. Like I interviewed the Backstreet Boys and they're like, you're the girl from MTV. And I'm like, you're the freaking Backstreet Boys. Like, and there's this fangirl element of me that I think was so appealing to the producers of the shows because they were like, she's so genuine. Like she's mm-hmm. not lost in her celeb craziness because I could keep it together and appreciate the people I was meeting. But I was also like, oh my God, you know? And I think this, this like quiet confidence that I had really spoke volumes at the time. But what I realized now, Casey, is like insecurity is really loud. And I drank to cope with what I didn't realize at the time, but what I now understand to be imposter syndrome. Because with this like big ticket manifestation item ticked off came all of this insecurity. Yeah. When am I losing my job? When is somebody younger, hotter, and thinner taking my job? When are they going to realize I have no television experience, yet here I am hosting television shows for a full-time job? When are they going to know? Like, when is it going to be up? And I think think many women can relate to that, even if they're not, you know, obviously an MTV VJ. Like, I mean, I know I had that in the corporate world and, you know, from a very young age and consulting, feeling like, when are they going to figure out that I don't know what the hell I'm doing? And look, they didn't figure it out. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) Because I just like went on this epic five-year MTV bender of flying around the world, hosting cool TV shows, meeting celebrities, partying, and having, it was the best. It was just the best. And then at one point I remember thinking, oh, I'm getting, I'm heading towards the age of 30 which for a youth brand is like I'm aging out of the brand, right? 
And well, to be fair, like I think at the time I probably could have stuck in there. I probably could have been on MTV for a few more years, but I'm always a fan of like, I don't ever want to white knuckle something until they tell you to leave. You know, I always want to like get out on a high note. (laughs) And so I decided heading towards the age of 30 that maybe I could swing back around to my radio roots and like end up doing like at the time I was like, I'd love to do the Sydney breakfast show or the national drive show. They're the two big, big shows that if you do those shows at this point, we're talking like 2010, um, those shows in Australia are like the coveted radio roles. Like those people become the radio heroes of the industry and I don't do things in halves. So I was like, National Drive, Sydney Breakfast, let's tunnel vision focus. So I I was still hosting MTV, but the big budgets had gone away and it was really small time. You know, I was hosting the MTV News every morning, which was great. And then the odd interview, but there was no big, big shows anymore. So I, in my spare time, would like duck over to the radio station that I started being a producer on. And I learned how to like push all the buttons and I would just like work basically for free. But I would like, I taught myself how to do the, I guess, the production elements of of hosting a radio show because that I felt was a skill I would need. Um, not as a, I didn't have that skill from TV. I could do the talking thing, <laughs> but I couldn't do the technical side. So I did all the technical stuff and then at the end of that year I got offered a night's radio show and I kind of had to make a call. I was like, I did the, I did two for the six months. I did night radio and then morning MTV news and it was, it, in the end I was like, scratch that. I've had a great run on MTV, happy to say goodbye. Um, and so then I just tunnel vision focused, focused on, um, on radio. So in the background... I have a personal crisis at around this time. I'd been married for a couple of years. My marriage imploded and I was looking down the barrel of a divorce just after my 30th birthday. Mm -hmm. So that, so we've got imposter syndrome that's been simmering away for the last like five, six years on MTV. I've had this big career switch and I was missing my MTV life. And then my marriage blew up in my face. So I drank a lot at this point and then I think my relationship with alcohol switched over to a coping mechanism and it became something at that time that I decided I just decided to do it every day because it was working for me in the sense that I thought it was giving me reprieve and release I thought it was helping me relax I thought it was numbing the pain I was feeling the shame I was feeling the failure I was looking at um at that season and I went from this like really big high in life that I didn't cope with very well without alcohol to this big low in life that I decided to cope with using alcohol yeah so and and so that's the bookend alcohol use disorder beginning for me Mm -hmm. and then um Luckily, I got offered a a breakfast radio show in a different city. So I basically like got out of my marriage situation and moved, which was great because I didn't really need to deal with like the fallout of the person that I was married to worked in the industry as well. So it was all quite, you know, oh, just incestuous. But um, I moved to a new city. But then when you think about, they say the the three biggest stresses are like starting a new job, moving to a new city and going through a breakup. And I'm like, tick, tick, tick. Yeah. <laughs> all literally within three months. And so I moved to this new city. I start this new job and I go through a divorce and I drink every day because so many things still and still like grieving my MTV career in a way of like, well, that was really fun. But like now what do I do? So then this is the season where I really start like having this identity crisis and then I lean into I'm the radio girl now because I was the MTV girl, now I'm the radio girl. And I play that card to a T. I end up getting the National Drive show a couple of years later and then the year after that I got the Sydney Breakfast show. So remember before how I said like the two big radio gigs. 
I'm like a manifester, Casey. But in the in the year that I got that National Drive show, 2014, I realized that my alcohol use was becoming an issue. Not to the point where, because people say like, so what happened? What was the catalyst? And I'm like, I looked in the mirror and I hated myself. Is that not enough of a catalyst? Like, I had the biggest job in radio in this country, but I felt so empty. I had tens of thousands of followers on Instagram and I had a radio show that went to a million ears every single afternoon, but I didn't feel like I had any friends. Yeah, and I I think that's so common. Like you never know on the outside what people are feeling on the inside regardless of what they put forward. And I think that the emotions that you were feeling are so universal when you kind of wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and just feel angry and sad and depressed and disappointed, regardless of what's going on in your life. One thing that I remember in that crucial, that pivotal year of 2014 was like, I was upset with myself for not being happy. Yes. I was like, you have it all on paper. You are living the dream. You are a dream job manifester, you freak of nature. Like, you are doing the, like, why aren't you satisfied? What is wrong with you? Why are you drinking? Why do you feel unhappy? And why do you get anxious now when you go, out to all these events that you need to be at and why do you have to like pre-game in order to even like get into the room and so I I realized that it was the alcohol at that point because like in retrospect I think a lot of us can be like because I even wrote myself a note being like why am I angry you know what I mean like my life is really good regardless of what scale that is and did you know that's kind of where alcohol takes you? I knew something was up. <laughs> okay. I knew, I knew that there had to be a better way to function in life. And so what I realized was whatever I was doing wasn't working. Yes. And I know because my mother drilled this into me when I was a child she said, nothing changes if nothing changes. Yes. So if you want to change something, you have to change something. And I was like, okay, well, what am I doing? I'm drinking all the time and that's not working. So the logical thing to do is to stop drinking and to see if anything changes. But when you're having those thoughts and all you do to cope with life is drink alcohol, that seems like an impossible mountain to scale. Yeah. And so the, the very thought of stopping drinking, like, gave me panic. I, I, like, it would incite internal panic and anguish. I'm like, what What would I do without a drink? I don't even know like who, who am I. I am. Right? Who am I? Who am I without radio? Who am I without alcohol? I'm no one. So this is it all 2014 and then the the most horrible thing happened. One of my friends suddenly died on the 6th of September that year and it just rocked my world so hard. So this was a dear friend who was also my manager at the time, Mark Byrne, and we had spent seven years crafting my radio career together and he had said to me seven years prior, He's like, work hard, figure it out, and you'll get that Sydney breakfast job, babe. He's like, you've got the talent, you've got the skill, you've got the work ethic. He's like, just like, let's build this together. And we did. And so every career move I made, it was all like heading towards this big deal Sydney breakfast radio show. And then Mark had a heart attack out of nowhere, I think probably due to stress, to be fair. Um, and he died and I was lost. I just, like, I was obviously sad, but it was deeper than that because Mark believed in me and I believed Mark's belief in me. I didn't believe my own self-worth at the time. So when he died, I had a real, a real crisis 
and I I drank myself silly over him and grieving and at the funeral and it got to the October the following month and I got offered the Sydney breakfast show and I was like this is bittersweet because this this place I've been heading with this person who believes in me I just arrived at and he's not here This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. And did you think this time like your drinking was impacting your work at all? Because morning shows are super early. Well, at the time, so in 2014, I had the afternoon slot. Okay. So no. I did not, it didn't impact on my work because I kept, because I was so serious about my career, nothing was going to impact on my work. But outside of my work, everything was falling to pieces. Mm -hmm. So I I knew something was up. It wasn't like, I was still high functioning. No one knew. No one had any idea that I had a drinking problem because Mm -hmm. I did it so Did you live alone? always alone or if I was out I knew when to take myself home so nobody knew something was up oh I used to like drink a glass before I went out two maybe three when I was out and then another like you know opened a bottle of wine or had more glasses once I got home correct absolutely so I I hit it so well because I was so ashamed And because I thought it was like the thing that was helping me at this point, I still think that alcohol is like keeping me together and it wasn't. (laughs) So I got offered this job in October, the big, big job, like the next big, big job and Mark had passed away. And so I'm dealing with feelings of grief and anguish and loss and sadness and I'm drinking and I Googled one night, am I an alcoholic? Because I knew what I was doing. And it turns out I'm not. It turns out I read the the manifesto on alcoholism and I was like, that's not my story. Like, I don't feel powerless under a disease. I just feel like I can't stop drinking. That's a different thing. And I hadn't lost my job. I hadn't gotten in a car and had an accident. I hadn't. I've had so many conversations, including with you know, psychiatrists and therapists and doctors that those quizzes that are out there are really, you know, the very, very, very severe alcohol use disorder. And there's such a spectrum where people progress down that path. So I think it is, you know, so many people Google that. And the fact that they don't, quote unquote, qualify keeps them drinking when, you know, they, you know, it's almost a reason to not I don't want to be in that category. I'm not in that category and therefore I don't need to stop. Yeah. And I think what I did, I was like, well, I'm not that. So what am I? Cause this isn't working for me. And that's what I landed on. Okay. I so landed on where you did get to that point. I got it. I was like, I'm not that, but this isn't working. So this has to be something. So whatever label it is, is irrelevant. It's not working for me. And then throw back to my mum, 
if nothing changes, nothing changes, something's got to change. I need to, I need to change this then. How the hell do I change it? And I went on like for the next two months knowing I was moving cities again, fourth city in fourth year, um, moving cities again to do another new job, a big, like the big, big job, another huge job with a huge pay packet attached to it, but all the stress, all the pressure, all the micromanagement. Um, I just knew I had to get a handle on it. So I, I decided at the end of the year to go, I did like a one week fitness camp thing. So I went on a fitness camp where we didn't drink cause we we're like doing, staying at the place. And I just, and I, um, I was always like, I drank so much, but I always worked out. I always like managed to go for a run or run it off or whatever. So I, I decided to do this fitness camp and sort of kick my own ass for a week. And then at the fitness camp, I was chatting to this guy and he had quit drinking the year prior. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, how did you do that? And he, he was like, I read this book. It's by Alan Carr. It's called How to Control Alcohol. And I ordered the book online in my room that night. I got it sent to my house in Melbourne. I started reading it and then I moved to Sydney pretty much. And so I decided when I was reading that book, I was going to stop drinking as an experiment for the first month of 2015 amongst moving cities and starting a new job because there's never a good time. I was like, it's not a good time to quit drinking. It's the middle of summer. I'm moving cities. I'm starting a new job. All the reasons to drink. But I realized there's no good time. You just have to do it. And it was getting to a point where I didn't want to like eventually screw up my career because it was getting to a point where maybe it would screw up my career for me. So then I did the January of 2015 with no booze. You did dry January. I did a dry Jan and then I did a dry Feb and a dry March and an April and a May. And now it's nearly been eight years. Yeah. And what happened at the, at the October of 2015? So let's just quickly backtrack. So I've gone big ticket career items all ticked. I've got the big, big, big job that my manager who is no longer with me that we crafted together. Like this is the life plan in its full expression. I've stopped drinking. I've managed to like reframe my relationship with alcohol, still do the big career, not drink booze, figure out the booze isn't my friend, have all these paradigm shifts. I'm working out five days a week. I'm like in this epic relationship, like I'm kicking goals. And then in October 2015, we got fired from our show out of the blue for no reason. Mm. And it was then that I realized I don't know who I am. And so the identity piece for me is like this undertone of my whole life where I knew who I was attached to alcohol. I knew who I was attached to my career, but I had no idea who I was without those two things. And at the beginning of 2015, I stopped drinking alcohol and I discovered a little bit about who I was and how she rolls and how she's actually really funny and she's really sweet. And even though you would say I'm an extrovert, she's an introvert. Oh my God, so many people realize that. When they stopped drinking. Yeah. And so when I realized this all in this quit drinking bit in, in 2015, I was like, oh my gosh, like, no wonder I drank mm-hmm. because my job has been to be this like extroverted big personality. And I actually love just being at home in my pajamas. That's yeah. how I reset. And so I learned so much about myself in 2015. Well, I've got this big career piece playing out in the public eye. Then I get unceremoniously sacked and it's all in the media. And I have all of these feelings of failure and shame come up, but I didn't drink alcohol. Yeah. I just was like, alcohol is not going to get me my job back. Do you feel like that helped you cope with that time period because you'd already stopped drinking? A hundred percent. Well, I remember saying in about the May of 2015, I was talking to a friend at work and she was like, gee, you're really taking this not drinking thing quite seriously. Um, Do you think that you'll ever drink again? I said, honestly, like 
if the worst thing happened and the worst thing would be like, if I got fired from this job, if the worst thing happened, like maybe I would drink, but maybe not. Like, I feel like, I don't know, we'd have to wait and see, like, as if I'm going to lose my job for, you know, for a track a few months. And, and we did for no other reason other than just radio. So what I did in those next few months, Casey. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a one day at a time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. after losing my job is I went on this big identity mission because I was like, I don't know who I am because I lost the two things that defined me in the same year. I lost alcohol by choice. I lost my job, not by my choice. And now I don't know who I am. And so I guess like to, to kind of like hone in and tie this all together for people, what I did in like the November of that year is I realized that I had done stuff because I was good at it, but I couldn't tell you why I was doing it other than the fact that I was good. I drank because I was good at it, but I didn't, I couldn't articulate a reason why I drank. I can now, but at the time I couldn't. Much the same with my career. Like I did radio and television because I got offered these amazing jobs, but I didn't know why I was doing it. And so what I did after the career piece was like put to rest for a bit and the alcohol was done is I figured out like why I'm here and like not what I want to do, why I want to do anything. Mm -hmm. And now, and I call it the purpose-driven bit because I think when you have a purpose, it's really easy to say no to things. When you don't have a purpose, there's no filter to put things through. You just end up saying yes and you get overwhelmed and burnt out because you can't say no because what if that's the thing that opens the next door that leads you to the thing? Yeah. That you I always really think it's sort of like in my mind what you're talking about is like your core values. You know, I do a bunch of core values work. Like what do you care the most about? And it takes some time really? to do it. But I mean, I know so many women, regardless of what path they're on, if you're like off by five degrees in your compass, over yeah. years, you can end up pretty far away from what you actually care really? about. And you don't even realize it because no matter what path you're on, you are encouraged to continue going on that. That's how you get the kudos, right? A hundred percent. And I think when we look at like brands and corporations, they all have a mission statement. Yeah. So like, why don't we have a mission statement for ourselves? 
not because we're all a brand these days. I think, you know, a lot of people do consider themselves a brand, which is a bit funny. But just as a human being, it's like, what do you stand for? And like, why are you here? And it's up. Everyone has to take responsibility and accountability for that. Because no one else, you're not going to get it from anyone else. Because no one can love you out of something or love you into it. You have to love yourself in and out of things. So what I realized in that, you know, that pivotal year of 2015 is, and I did a lot of journaling that year. I'm a hardcore journaler from way back, but that year specifically, I journaled a lot. And what I would do is I'd have seasons, like three or so weeks of journaling. And I would like write out in the morning or the middle of the night or whatever, like just blur. Yeah. And then I, I closed the book and then, and then a few weeks later, I'd go back and I'd read over my journal entries. And it's like, I rediscovered myself and I realized all these amazing things about me and I had compassion on myself mm-hmm. and I had gratitude for what I was learned. And then I was like, I'm kind of wise. Like, how am I so smart? But I made so many dumb choices. Yeah. And then again, when I got to this, um, this purpose thing, I was like, no one ever like no one ever said why are you doing something everyone just said what do you want to do when you grow up mass and I was like I want to be a VJ I want to do this so it's like we ask kids when they're six years old like what do you want to do we don't ask them what they're passionate about yeah like what lights you up do that and that's how you find your why and I don't think I don't think looking back, if I had figured out my why, I wouldn't have had the career that I had. I just think I would have had better boundaries about it. And I would have, it would have been more satisfying for me because there would have been purpose that I didn't need to fill the void with alcohol with because I would have stood for something. And in the end, I just stood in this gap with a microphone and a light on me, not really knowing what I was doing other than just doing what everyone said I was excellent at. And so, I now come at life from a completely different approach and I only do things that serve my mission and my purpose and my why in life because I know who I am and I feel like when I chose to go sober, you know how there's this whole self-care thing going on right now, which I love for people, especially busy women. Sobriety is the self-care tool. I've realized because when you stop drinking, you actually start caring for yourself. You also, there's so many physical benefits, but mental health benefits that come that we do self-care things for. But like, if you just stop drinking, that's really just the overarching self-care bit. And out of that self-care, there comes self-love and self-worth. And it's this beautiful little triangle in sobriety that I feel like is like, you know, surrounds my heart now. It's like the self-care, self-love, self-worth that sobriety bought me gives me my identity and my purpose. And now all of my choices, everything I say yes to, everything I say no to comes out of that place. And that's whole living. That's wholeness. It's not wellness. I think wellness sometimes is a bit of a sham. Like that, I'm coming from a whole centered, grounded person who can love herself through all of the ups and the downs, who can show herself compassion, who can be kind to herself, who can, you know, stand up and rise up and do all the things that I want to do because I know why I'm doing it now. And it took me 42 years (laughs) almost like to kind of figure it out because even in this is nearly my eighth year of sobriety and all this stuff is just landing it's just like it's I'm just getting used to operating out of this space well question for you if someone's listening to this and sort of going through their own path which is different than your path what what is sort of the process or how, what would you recommend that they do in terms of doing the work, wow. in terms of finding their purpose and their identity after drinking? Yeah, I think um, it's about, well, what I did is I, I journaled a lot and I asked myself a lot of questions about myself. <laughs> it's like, so I like to, I have this really overactive mind And I have these scenarios that like play out in my head that are so far-fetched and insane 
but they're real in my brain. And so I do this thing where I ask myself, is it true and is it really true? Mm -hmm. And I think you can apply that across a lot of things that you think you might know. So really it's about questioning what you think you know. And so it's like, so write down a statement about yourself, like I love my job, and then go, do you really love your job? Or do you just love the fact that it brings you an income? And why is that important? Because you love money. Do you really love money? Why do you think you, and it's about like, I think it's about finding like your your top your top level identity that you think is your identity and then breaking it down to the the very, very bare bones. And what you'll probably land on is, oh, I am doing that out of insecurity. Mm-hmm. Okay, well then now let's let's attack the insecurity piece and figure out what I'm insecure about and how I can safeguard some security strategies into my self-worth. So it is, I think, about like having this critical thinking lens over your own brain. That sounds really intense, but it's called metacognition. So metacognition is thinking about your thoughts. I do it all the time now because we have thoughts going on all the time. But if you think about your thoughts, then you can realize, oh, my God, my thoughts are entrapping me into this false sense of security or my thoughts are leading me down this way and that I don't think is true for me right now Mm -hmm. or my thoughts are creating this issue in my life that isn't even real. So I think like to, to, to come to the point of figuring out your identity or your mission statement or um, what it is you want to live out of, you got to ask yourself a lot. It's a lot of questioning and breaking it all down. And, and eventually I think you crack open because in a good way, like in a positive way, because I think what we do, especially with drinking, is suppress, suppress, suppress. And you so Pandora's box has to get open and get lit and get it all out. And so for yeah. all of the stuff you've suppressed and compounded and put in there, it's got to come out. And it's a it's a minefield and it's like it's deep and it's complex, but it's so worth it. And when, you know, it's just the the overarching thing for me is like if you know yourself, know thyself. It's like number one because when you know yourself, you can love yourself. When you love yourself, you can love others. When you love others, they can love you. And and so I think we get we get on this train of life with the what. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be there. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have a career. And we do the what really, really well. No one teaches us about the why. But when you can underpin it all and have a foundation of why, purpose, identity, and it's about what lights you up. It's about, to quote Marie Kondo, what sparks joy in your life? For her, it's chucking stuff out. She's made an amazing career out of it. Um, But it is. It's what sparks joy, what lights you up, what are you passionate about. When you've got your why, then the what is the execution, and the execution can be a million different things. It's not just the one thing. So I think I hope that that's helpful for people, but it is, it's a complex process, which I think it, it, it's easy to drink sometimes because you're like, oh, God, emotions, feelings, blah. It's too hard. But, like, come on, people. The best thing about being a human is feeling our feelings and like having this emotional experience is it's the bit in life like it's what it's what makes us us and if we're not feeling our feelings then you're not doing the lived human experience bit yeah you're just ticking boxes and like you're just tunneling through life and it's so like what I realized when my friend died is like it is so short it is so quick. We're here for a blink. And if we don't have our why down, you're just going to spend your life doing the what bit and then get to the end and be like, what? Like, what did I do? As opposed to getting, you know, drilling down on the why and realizing you can live every day with a huge level of satisfaction and purpose because you know why you're here. Yeah. I mean, I think 
in terms of like what you're saying and how I relate to it is that the process of giving up drinking is so much more than like swapping out a beverage or deciding not to drink alcohol. I mean, it really is this, this tender and transformational time of giving up your best coping mechanism and what you've been using to push down and numb all these sort of unsolved questions in your life. And once you remove that, you kind of have to go through this period of, I mean, I'll ask women and myself included, like, who am I if I don't drink? Like, what do I do for fun? Um, How do I deal with my husband? How do I connect with him? How do I relax after a day of work? But also, what do I want? Because I've just been, you know, I think most women, you know, in the beginning, you drink because it's what you do socially, it's what you do as a college student and growing up and young 20s. And then at some point, we drink to tolerate the life we've set up or as our only reward. And you actually have to take a look at, okay, if I drink to tolerate my life, and that you could have a very good life that's just overpacked, or you have imposter syndrome, or you have something else. Once I remove the alcohol, what else needs to change and shift? And I mean, I think that's a universal experience. It is. And I think too, like for a lot of people, a drinking problem actually isn't about the alcohol. It's about your inability and it's not necessarily your fault, but it's your inability to deal with the choices in life that have led you to where you are. So we're the sum total of all of our choices. Um and our and how we respond to the craziness that life throws us, and I think what alcohol does is alcohol keeps you reactionary. It, it it's like this reaction to life. It's not a response, mm-hmm. and alcohol lets you cope with life, not deal with life. So the dealing bit is like processing the emotions, grieving the loss of my friend, um, accepting that I'm really talented. Like that was a big thing for me mm-hmm. to actually sit with my feelings about how I feel about having the label of talent. And I was so uneasy about it for a long time. But again, like this quiet confidence thing for me is what got me on board with who I really am in all of this and what I can do with that gift, this gift of communication that I have you know, this, my writing ability, like these wonderful tools that I've been given, I wasn't using because I was drinking because I didn't know how to use all of the tools. And so I think what happens is at a really young age, we get given a drink and that fixes, it's a temporary fix. And so we just go, well, that will do. And what we really need to do is to arm ourselves with like a range of tools to deal with the big stuff in life. You know, and one of those tools could be talk therapy or having a counsellor, much like you have a GP or a doctor. When you don't feel great, you go to the doctor. When you feel like you're not coping or dealing with stuff in life, go and talk to a counsellor who can give you some direction on the questions you should ask yourselves. Like counsellors don't give you the answer. They just help you find the answer, right? So I just think if we can have these conversations and present these other options and these other tools, you know, and link it to everyone do the work. Like your job is to know who you are and to figure out why you're here. That's your job. That's one of your most important jobs because when you do that, the expression that you can have and the impact you can have in other people's lives and in the world around you is endless and so exciting. Yeah. And I think one of the challenges for a lot of women who've moved up the ladder, high achieving and all of that is that we feel like we need to have a set goal in life. We need to know what the answer is and then work towards it, which is what you talked about. But I, I really encourage women and it's what you've, you've been touching on as well to be patient 
And I always think of it as sort of following defined breadcrumbs. Like it's okay if you don't know what the end goal is or what your why is or, or what, who you want to be like that process of discovery takes time and you will figure it out. You will. You will. And it's, it's a progressive revelation of self. Like it's not static. You don't just figure it out and go radio. It evolves. Like what I'm passionate about now was really different in 2015. You know, like when I was first going on that, like, what do I stand for? What do I want to do? It evolves, but you evolve. Like you're not the same as you are when you're a teenager in your twenties, your thirties and your forties. Thank God. Like, holy smokes. I'm so glad I've evolved as a person. But your your why evolves as well. And so you don't have to figure it all out. Like, but go on, go on the self-discovery bit. Like go on the journey. Come on the journey. Come yeah. on the wild ride. Yeah. And, and you're allowed, and- you know, a lot of us are like, well, we kind of, you know, made not made our bed, but like we got married and people knew who we were and we're climbing the ladder. And like you're allowed to change and evolve. And in fact, you should. You should change the narrative at any time. It's your story. You are the author of your story. Yeah. You can, I changed, I switched it up big time at the end of 2014 because the narrative was that's Maz. She's the radio girl and she drinks booze. And the story's so different now. And, and, and that was, I take full responsibility and, and, and proudly take responsibility for switching up that narrative because it was one of the best choices I ever made in my life for sure. Well, so I have to ask you before we wrap up. So what is your current, because it will keep evolving mission (laughs) and purpose and why, or what, you know, what your identity is now? So what I landed on at the end of 2015 is that I love helping people. Um, And so in 2016, I opened a gym and I got trained as a fitness trainer and I started helping people go on their fitness and weight loss journeys and wellness journeys or wholeness journeys, as I like to call them. So I did that for a few years. And so my whole thing was about empowering people to be their best self. That was that was then. Um, and then I became a mum, which is by far my favorite and most fun job and most challenging job ever. And then ironically, Casey, I was welcomed back into the radio industry with open arms two years ago, mm-hmm. and I am now hosting a breakfast radio show again. <laughs> but I'm doing it out of the most genuine and um, beautiful centered place. And I have zero imposter syndrome, and I understand how um, I can use my gift every day to bring some joy into people's lives. And that's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And then my side hustle is my podcast about sobriety, because I think having these conversations will empower people to live their best lives and to find their best self as well. So it all, like everything I do weaves into, I guess, that underlining identity of helping people um, become the best them, whichever way that looks. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Do you want to tell people where they can find more out about you or where to find your podcast? There is limited information out there about me, um, but I am um, not really on social media, which is a whole, that's a whole other podcast we can do. That's a choice that I made. But um, I do have a podcast called Last Drinks, um, which you can find anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And we do have an Instagram account called uh, it's at Last Drinks Pod on Instagram. If you want to get in touch, share your sobriety story with me. I love having conversations with people about their last drink and how they got to it and what has flourished out of it. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, honey. It's so lovely chatting to you. You as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast 
so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.